We've been going through God's story. We started in September and we're only in the book of Exodus. So we're making a lot of progress uh, as we go through. But don't worry, things eventually start to pick up. But um, one of the things that we're going to see today is, is this identification piece. Now, there's a lot of ways that you and I can distinguish each other from one another. Some ways are very obvious, some ways are very subtle. So I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of my life uh, of ways that I was able to be identified differently from somebody else. So again, when I went uh, to Zimbabwe in college, it was pretty evident by the color of my skin that I was not from there. Uh, when we were, uh, Chris and I were dating, we did a missions trip and we went to the country of the Netherlands or Holland and my inability to speak Dutch was a dead giveaway that I was not from there. Uh, my brother lived out in Michigan and we were at a restaurant and the lady said, what would you like? And I said, I would like some water, please. And she said, are you from Philly? And I said, yes, I am, right? So that was a distinguishing way. When I go to a sporting event, right, my, my Flyers, my Eagles, my Phillies, my Sixers jersey, that's a dead giveaway. Uh, many people know that my children, uh, like, Early spring, my children get this nice golden brown color. Uh, and most people understand that comes from their Italian grandmother. Uh, and one of the other things that kind of separates, and again, when I talk about subtle, uh, my kids have learned the proper way of making a soft shell taco. And it starts by putting on the sour cream first and then you spread it out. And now all of my children do that because they've realized that's the important way to do it. So. So these are all distinguishing things, right? But, but in reality, none of, the, none of these things are right or wrong, right? If I can speak Dutch or, or not, that, it's not a big deal. Uh, if, if you burn in the summer versus getting a tan, it's not a big deal. If you want to smear your sour cream, if you want to glob it on, not a big deal, right? All, those things are not wrong. Now, saying water versus water, okay, I draw the line somewhere at the English language. So, you know, if you're gonna use that phrase water, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but today, God's story that we're gonna walk through is gonna take a little bit of a turn. And this turn is all gonna deal with separating God's people. So, so far, God has been making promises that I'm going to save you from the sins and Satan that occurred and I made a promise and he's been faithful to, to keep fulfilling that promise, right? He keeps saving his people from what's going on. And, but we're going to see a little bit of a different turn to that today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 19. So again, God's people has headed down uh, into Egypt. Remember, they're trying to escape a famine. They go down there. God sends Joseph ahead and he prepares the way. And so God's people are living down there. And then over time, the Pharaoh dies off and they're like, wait, why are all these Egyptians, why are all these Israelites here? And they begin to enslave God's people. And then they cry out to God and, and God redeems them. He brings them through the Red Sea. And now they're beginning to wander the desert. And we talked last week about all of the complaining that they were doing about not having having any food or water, and God continues to provide for them. And back in Exodus 3.12, again, remember, he's, God is talking to Moses, and he says, you're going to lead my people into the promised land. And he says, the, the promise is that this mountain we're standing on, Moses, which is going to become Mount Sinai, you're going to go to Egypt, you're going you're to lead your people out, and I'm going to lead you back to this very same mountain. 
And that's where we pick up our story today. The Israelites have made it back to the mountain that God has promised them. So we're going to read here Exodus 19. We're going to start in verse 3. It said that Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So God, again, brings them out and he says, look, what I did to the Egyptians, I'm not going to do to you. But, but here are the rules. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to obey. And out of this, you're, you're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're, you're going to be a holy nation that's set apart. And so God says, look, you are my accumulation of wealth. That, that's what it means to be a treasured possession. You are my accumulation of wealth. You are my joyous property, Israel, is what you are. And you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And what that means is that's your job. See, a priest stands in the gap between God and man. And the job of the priest is, is, to, is to teach people and to pray and to guide them and to, to point people to say, look, that's the God you're supposed to follow. And we're going to see here in a moment that part of that is to engage in the sacrificial system to help make atonement for people's sins. And as a collective group, you are going to be a holy nation. You, you are going to be a nation that is set apart for a sacred and special purpose. And understand that, that God is still unfolding his story to his people, right? So a lot of this is relatively new of what's, what's going on. And, and so I could imagine that as God is saying this to, to Moses, Moses is like, yes, God, yes, yes, we will be a kingdom. We will be a holy nation. We, yes, God. And then he's like, wait, how is this going to happen? What are you talking about? And God says, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Go tell the people you're going you're to meet me on the mountain. And I'm going to explain this in a little more detail for you. Okay? So Moses goes and he tells the people, he says, look, guys, I got to go up and speak to God. Consecrate yourselves. Get yourselves ready. We're about to hear the word of God. And do not touch that mountain. Do not come near it when God is speaking to me. And so God gives Moses the law. And he gives his children all of the rules about how they're supposed to live. Now, I'm going to work backwards here for a moment, right? So, so we just read Exodus 19. He's going to get the laws in Exodus 20. But I'm actually, I'm actually going to work backwards and kind of actually whittle it down to the essence of what God is saying here, okay? So, so like kind of bookmark, we're in Exodus 19, but we're going to jump all the way into the New Testament now as we go forward, okay? So in the New Testament, as Jesus is speaking to his people, He's like, listen, here's all these laws that have already been given in the past. But he adds something different with it. He, he, he says there's a little bit difference of how I'm going to treat the law. And this is where Jesus does his Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5 through 7. 
He says, look, you're supposed to live uh, in a daily way. There's all these rules you're supposed to follow. And, and as you do it, you know, don't kill each other. Don't steal. Don't lie to each other. But Jesus goes on and he says, I want to add something a little bit more to these laws. And in that Sermon of the Mount, he, he says things in Matthew 5 through 7, like if anyone is angry with his brother, he is subject to judgment. If anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. When you give to the needy, don't let your, what your right hand is doing so that you may be giving in secret. When you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And do not judge or you will be judged. So, so Jesus is saying, look, there's all these outward physical laws. But I'm taking that wall and I'm saying there's an internal heart issue going on. That, yeah, it's great that you're like, man, I hate that guy and I want to kill him. And it's great that you don't physically go out and kill him. But the anger that lies in your heart, that's just as bad. That's a sin, too. And so the basis of all these laws that, that Jesus is saying, again, happens in the Old Testament. And remember, he's, he's going to weave his law throughout the story of God's people. And so when we back up a little bit further, we get to all the prophets. And the job of the prophets was just to continue to remind God's people, remember all the laws that you got? You're not following them and you're going to be punished because of that. So the prophets are a reminder about what God's laws are. So God gives them some laws and they live and, and they, then God gives some more laws and then they live and they disobey and they get reminded and they live and God gives some more laws. Now, the bulk of the laws that, that the Israelite gets comes from the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and when we look at Deuteronomy, it's actually more of a recap. That's what Deuteronomy literally means. It just means second law. That as God's people are getting ready to enter into the promised land, Moses is like, let me remind you of everything that God told you to do. And there's this little special note in here in Deuteronomy 30. Moses is telling his people, he says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship, I declare to you this day that you will be certainly be destroyed. You will not live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So Moses is like, guys, look, remember, God gave us a set of laws. If we just obey those laws, there's going to be prosperity. It's going to go well for us. If we disobey, God tells us he's going to destroy us. And so all of those laws that God has given to his people, again, is in the Pentateuch. The majority have come from Exodus 20 through the book of Leviticus. Okay. And, and those kind of laws uh, add up to about 613 commandments of what they were supposed to follow. Laws that said, honor the old and the wise, put tassels on your clothing, praise God when you eat, don't leave a beast in its burden, don't reap your field, leave some for the poor, don't mistreat a stranger or an alien. If you have a Hebrew servant, they go free after seven years. Here is the kind of fish that you can eat. 
Use honest weights and scales. Here's how you are to perform the burnt offering. So he gives, he gives law after law after law after law after law from Exodus 20 through the book of Leviticus. And, and he says, look, the purpose of those laws are to teach you how to interact with God, to worship him, to, to follow the sacrificial system, to obey him. And the other set of laws are, are all about how to properly treat people. How, how, do we, how do we live in a harmonious union of, of marriage? How do, we, how do we engage in business with one another? How do I treat my neighbor? God lays out all of these laws to Moses. And then he says, look, I'm going to just back up a little bit further here. And he says, the essence of those laws in Exodus and Leviticus really start with Exodus 20 and really begin with just the foundations of the Ten Commandments. And so in Exodus 20, we get those Ten Commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. No other idols. Don't misuse my name. Keep the Sabbath. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Like these are the very basics of what you're supposed to be following. And if we break this down, we, we see that, that God is doing something else with Moses. He says, laws one through four are all about how you are to love me. And laws five through 10 are all about how you love other people. Okay, so again, I'm continuing to break this down. And really that law, that, that idea is the very same law that Jesus gives in Matthew 22, when he gives the great commandment, right? When he, when he, he, he says, um, someone questions him and says, teachers, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What? There's so many, Jesus. Which one am I supposed to follow? And Jesus says, I'll break it down for you. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbors as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Is, Moses, I'm going to make this real easy on you. But now here's, a, here's another good Bible tool. Whenever you see a list, you see an order. Many times in scripture, what is first usually takes priority. So in this case, God goes first. And he says, let me break it down a little bit further. Remember in Deuteronomy, which is the second retelling, Moses is getting ready to send his, his people into the promised land. And he's saying, here's all the laws you're supposed to follow. Well, in Deuteronomy 6, he, he says, guys, remember this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's what I want you to remember. As you, as you enter into the promised land, that, that's what you need to understand. So if we break down everything, what does the law say? Love God. So you might be thinking, okay, wait a minute. We started in Exodus 19 and you like jumped all the way to the New Testament and you kept working back. I might be a little confused here. Why did you start with Exodus 19, Adam? So let me, let me explain it this way. When I was teaching, there was a technique called scaffolding. It's really not groundbreaking, okay? It's nothing like, well, earth-shattering, but it's really important to be aware of it because the purpose of scaffolding was to try to help every student wherever they were at in any type of lesson. So no matter what I was teaching, I, I, could, I could take a really strong student 
and a low student and help them all at the same time by the way that I geared my lesson. So for instance, if I was teaching something on Athens and Sparta, I, I might say to a really, really gifted student, I want 10 comparisons from memory, go. Uh, a student in the middle, he might be struggling and, and I might be like, look, I want, I want 10 answers, but I'm gonna give you a fill in the blank. And for a student that was really struggling, I go, I want 10 answers, here's the 10 answers, but you know, all you gotta do is just tell me, does that fit the Athens or does that fit the Sparta, okay? Because again, the purpose was to meet people where they were at. And you know what, God is the ultimate teacher and he's literally doing the same thing for us. He's scaffolding his law for us. And here's what I mean by that. God's basically saying, look, if you're the super gifted, I want you to read my entire word and I want you to learn everything you can about the law in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you're like, man, God, that's a lot. God says, all right, well, I'll tell you what, just stick in the Old Testament and stick with those 613 commands. And if you're like, oh God, that's still a little hard. Okay, that's fine. Just, just find the 10 commandments in Exodus 20 and stick with that. Just get the basics there. And if you're like, oh, I don't know if I can remember those. God's like, don't worry, I got you covered. Love God and love others. And if you're the type of person who were like, I don't know how you survive in a day and you can't remember anything, God's like, let me break it down even further. Just love me, okay? That is the essence of the law. What I'm telling you right now, Moses, just love me. And so God gives this to Moses and he says, now this is your job. This is the role that you are going to play in my story. And remember, before he gives him the law, he started with, you are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. And then he gives the law. And so when God appears to Moses at the burning bush and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get my people, bring them back out. And Moses is getting ready. And he goes, wait, wait, God, when I go, who, who am I supposed to say who sent me? Like, how, how do they know that I, I've got authority and credibility? And, and God says, tell them, I am sent you. That is going to be my name that you will put on the lips of my people. Uh, that's the term where we get the term Yahweh. What God was saying to Moses is when you use I am or Yahweh, I am going to be a distinct God from all of the other gods and goddesses that exist. I am going to be the personal God of the Israelites. Quite frankly, I am the only God that exists. All of these other gods are all fakes. And what I want is for all people to know who I am. Now here's the issue. All of these different tribes, all of these different groups of people, all have their own unique gods and goddesses. They all have their own rules and they all have their own rituals. And so if, if, if Moses just shows up and starts saying Yahweh, 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 people would be like, huh? Because many of, these God, many of these different nations are actually swapping the different gods and goddesses. I'll give you an example here. So a very popular god in ancient culture was the fertility god. Uh, the Canaanites had Baal and Asherah. Egypt had multiple, but, but Amun was one. Sumer had Temez, and Assyria had Ishtar. It was the same god with just different names. 
So if Moses shows up and he says, hey, Yahweh, this God, all of the other nations are going to be like, yeah, that's cool. Okay, so what? Like, we got gods too. Like, you want to trade? Is that, is that what you're talking about? So there had to be something different about what Moses was doing and his people. There had to be something that set Yahweh apart from everyone else. That when they heard the name Yahweh, instantly the nations would go, oh, that God. Yeah, that God is way better. And so God says to Moses, the way that I'm going to do that is by these set of laws. Because see, when you follow them, Moses, when my people follow them, the world's going to look at these laws and scratch its head and go, wait a minute, why, why are you doing that? Why are you setting your slaves free? That doesn't make any sense. See, what we need to realize is, is that God's laws at the heart, again, says what? Love God and love others. All of the other laws that the world had said, I love God for the purpose of getting something out of God. The reason why I make a sacrifice to, to the Egyptian god Ra is because I want Ra to give me a blessing in what I want. But what God is saying to his people is I've already made a promise to you. And that when you obey, oh, I will bless you. But the point of that blessing is so that all of these other nations can look at you and go, why, why is there rain over here, but nothing over here? Why is there joy here, but all we seem to have is anger in our hearts? You know what? I think that's the God I prefer. And this idea is going to shock the world. And really, this is important because it goes back to just Genesis. When God made the promise, right, he said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He says to the Israelites, you are going to be a blessing to the world. Quite frankly, this is like the first missions organization. I'm sending you out in the world to be a blessing to everyone else. And the way that you are going to be a blessing is by following what I tell you to do. Because when you follow me, you will set yourself apart from everyone else in the world. And they will look at you and go, I love Yahweh because of the way I saw you live your life. So holiness becomes extremely important. And you know what? That same premise is true for you and I, is it not? That, that great commandment that God gave to those disciples is the same thing that we're called. To love God and to love others. He calls his people in Exodus 19 to be holy. And he calls us in 1 Peter chapter 2 to be holy. He says, I need you to live a life of holiness because you living a life of holiness is going to point people to me and save people. Think about that for a moment. Think about the, the weight that we now bear. 
God has set a lofty standard for you and I as believers, and you know what? He expects us to follow it. Now, I could, I could end this sermon with that sobering reality that my obedience is an act of missions and that when I disobey God, I may be potentially turning people off to their Savior. And I could end it with that and say, love God, love others, discover, disciple, deliver, let's go forward. And don't get me wrong, I, I want us to think about our obedience and holiness. I want us to realize that is absolutely crucial in the way that we live in this world because we have to stand out from the rest of the world. Because when we stand out, the world will see Christ. But that's only part of the law. See, here, here's the other piece that we need to keep in mind about it. Remember, he's got all these rules, right? And we all love the book of Leviticus, right? That's the one you just wake up and you go, if I could sink my teeth into any book, that would be it. No, right? What do we do? Like, like I, I preached a, a sermon series on it, and I'm pretty sure that as soon as I said it, people were like, oh, I'm not coming for the next couple of weeks, right? But isn't it interesting that when God gives Moses the law, he gives the book of Leviticus as well. It's not like all of a sudden it just shows up later. God does it all in conjunction together. And, and we look at this and we go, but the book of Leviticus is like, it does, it's pointless for me, right? Don't, you know, like we kill animals, here's how we sacrifice. Like Jesus came and died, blah, blah, blah. Like we don't have to do that anymore, right? So why? Why? Why the book of Leviticus? See, when God gave Moses the set of rules to follow of how to love God and others, he already knew they weren't going to be able to do that. And he said, you're going to break that law and you're not going to be obedient. So what I need to do is put a system in place to forgive your disobedience. Because even though he said, you are my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He said, you know what? You're going to need the same thing as every other nation around you. So in one way, he says, people, I need you to be different by following the law. And in the very same breath, God says, I need you to realize that by following the law, you're the very same people as everyone else that the Israelites, that you and I, and the world are all in the same boat, that we are sinners and we can't uphold the law. And that the ultimate blessing is not going to be the sacrifice of the blood of animals, but the ultimate blessing is going to be Christ sacrificing his life on the cross and shedding his blood for us. And so, though I'm called to live to the holiness and be distinct, the law has also done something else. It said, Adam, you're the same as everybody else. 
Right? Romans 7, 7 says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have realized that I was a disobedient sinner if God didn't give me those laws to tell me that. But in the very same breath, we look at and we say, I am depraved and unrighteous. I see the glorious character of Christ. Because in Matthew 5, 17, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have, come to, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he gives the law and he says, obey them, but I know you can't, so I'm creating a sacrificial system. And the only person that's going to fully obey my law is Jesus. And when Jesus fully obeys the law, that is where you will find salvation and redemption. So what do we learn from Exodus 19, 5 through 6? It's this. That if you and I are going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, if you and I are going to be God's treasured possession, the reason why we can do that is because Christ died and covered over the law for us. Let's pray. Lord, I stand baffled sometimes that the way that you work. <clears throat> you chose us, Lord. You, you said you're going to be my people. You, I, I'm going to use you to communicate who I am, even though I know that you will fail and you will sin. And even though we fail and we sin... It was you who chose to die in our place. So Lord, I pray that we, we don't negate your word today. Lord, I pray that we do two things. Lord, that we are continually reminded of the necessity to live in obedience to you. Our obedience is an act of missions to the world. And as we try to live in obedience, Father, I also pray that we are constantly in a state of praise, knowing that when we fail, God, you have redeemed us at the cross. And your desire is to redeem everyone else in this world by the shedding of your blood. So why do you choose frail men? I don't know. Why do you choose a corrupt mind like mine? I don't know. But what I do know is that I am blessed because of the cross. Amen.